Hindutva is a justified political response to assert Hinduism in, at a time when there was no other option. I mean, Hinduism on its own is not going to expand and attack and aggressively go, uh, go to some other country and wage war. We never did that. So the, the, reason, the reason that people got sick of being victims, being hit all the time, being, uh, you know, all our lands being taken, temples being taken, uh, just being blamed, accused, a lot of Hindu phobia in the, all the textbooks and everywhere, the Hindus needed, uh, needed, needed to push back. So, therefore, a large number of uh, Hindus who uh, personally, they were not into BJP supporters or Jan Sang supporters. So many people I know, they said, you know, this is the way. This is the way. They are the people who champion and give us uh, give us some rights. So, I think that uh, the way you support, the way you justify Hindutva is that it is the path to equality of our Hindus. We are not asking for superiority. We are not asking that, uh, you know, we should take over other people. We are, we are only saying we want to, to take back what is ours, what is justifiably ours. We don't want unfair, uh, unfair and unequal, uh, you know, allocation of resources under, in the name of uh, uh, reservations. Reservations should be only for people below a certain poverty line. It should have nothing to do with your religion or jati or any of that stuff. Uh, Sri Rajiv Malhotranji needs no introduction. He is the founder of Infinity Foundation, a nonprofit based in Princeton, USA. Initially trained as a physicist, he is, uh, and then as a computer scientist specializing in artificial intelligence in the 1970s. He became an entrepreneur and founded and ran several IT companies in 20 countries. Rajiji serves as chairman of the Board of Governors of the Center for Indic Studies at the University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth, and is a senior advisor to the Indian think tank Defense Research and Studies. He is on the advisory board of the Indian Institute of Advanced Studies, Shimla. He has authored several best-selling books, including Breaking India, The Battle for Sanskrit, and Sanskrit Non-Translatables, The Importance of Sanskritizing English. A key interest of Rajivji has been to interpret the dharma of our times, a need he considers vital given the sweeping changes and challenges we face. Today, he will speak on uh, the geopolitics of Hindutva, how it is being weaponized or how it's being defined worldwide, defamed worldwide, and also what, how, is the, how is the pushback happening worldwide. Rajivji, over to you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm glad to see my friend Pavan here. Pavan is the person who launched my book, uh, Being Different, which I think is a, is a book that, that defines a large part of uh, my work. And then I've elaborated on, on that book ever since. The largest chapter in that book was uh, Sanskrit non-translatables. So I want Pavan to know that actually now we produced a whole book on just Sanskrit non-translatables as a central theme. Uh, so we go back a long way, uh, and um, uh, I'm very—I was very attentively listening to his talk. A uh, lot of wisdom in it. I agree with quite a lot what he said. I also have some differences. Uh, so my uh, my take on Hindutva uh, starts with the question: Why did we need another term for something that is ancient? Is it that the substance of this tradition is new? Are we inventing something new or is it a new term for something old? And if it's a new term for something old, why do we need a new term? Uh, 
I, I want to start by asking that question. The literal meaning Hindu-ness or essence of Hinduism, uh, well, you don't need to have a new term for that. I mean, you can just, if Savarkar didn't like ism, Hinduism, he could call it Hindu Dharma, which is fine. Sanatan Dharma was the old name. Hindu Dharma is a new name. Why do you need to create one more term and, and potentially create confusion? This is an issue that we should discuss. So I don't think uh, uh, just simply saying Hindutva means Hindu-ness uh, and then the whole talk one can give on Hinduism uh, is, uh, is, 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 we can't simplify it that way. There must be something different about it. So let's figure out what's different about it. So some people have said that, uh, like Shashi Tharoor view, is that uh, it is not bona fide Hinduness. This is not bona fide Hindu dharma. Hindutva, because Hindutva uh, makes it political and uh, assertive, whereas uh, the traditional Hindu idea was uh, not, uh, was inward going. That is the theory that we're all inward going, adhyatmic. Now, I understand and appreciate the adhyatmic aspect. I practice it a lot. That is why I call myself a Hindu. It's for that very reason. But my response to that is that if you look at Ramayana, it is an external uh, social, social political encounter. Uh, in fact, uh, this is uh, Vijay Dashmi day today. So we should know that uh, Avatar himself is engaged in a fight. So it is not all passive and uh, inward look looking. It is also a response to social political circumstance of that era. And then you look at the other Itihas, you look at Mahabharat, uh, you know, Sri Krishna also has to fight, uh, promote a fight to, uh, with, with uh, Duryodhan because it is not good enough to have soft power and try to convince him and all that stuff because you, sometimes you need hard power. So I don't think it is fair to say that uh, uh, traditional Hindu dharma did not have assertiveness uh, in the face of problems and opposition and enemies and so on. Ramayana is about the external enemy. He comes from a different country, different desh. And Mahabharata is a fight with the internal enemy because they are our cousins in, the, in, that, in that situation. So whether it is a threat from external or a threat from internal, that threat has to be dealt with. It is part of Hinduness. It is part of Hindu Dharma. It is part of Sanatana Dharma by whatever name. So therefore, that too would not be justification for coining a new term because the phenomenon uh, that uh, is the political aspect uh, uh, and the assertive aspect has also been uh, encountered in the past. So then what is the, what could be the purpose of this new term? I think that one has to understand the idea of a Purva Paksha in order to understand why we, we fell apart when, the, when external invasions happened. When we were doing Purva Paksha, we were vigilant about who's out there to get us, who these people are, what they want, what is their agenda, what are their strengths and weaknesses, what should we do differently. In other words, we would always keep up, be innovative. But for some reason, Purva Paksha did not happen. When the, there was Islamic invasion, there was no uh, intellectual rebuttal response, deconstruction, analysis, uh, or at least if there was, it was very feeble. We don't, it's not part of our, there was no new itihas. Like there is the itihas of Ravan coming and there is the itihas of Duryodhan. There is no itihas of the Islamic invasion. And similarly, the European 
when the Europeans came to colonize, there was no Purva Paksha of who are these people, what are they doing? Somehow the lack of Purva Paksha made us kind of complacent and we sort of lost track of where the threat is coming from. Now, the result of this was Hindus became inward, otherworldly. Some of them accepted that this new thing that is coming is must be the same, must be the same. And so uh, we came up with uh, good ways to justify, you know, that whatever is going on must be the same. The common statement that the truth is one and the wise people call it by many names should not be misinterpreted to mean that all statements and all claims of all people are valid. That is not true. It doesn't say you shouldn't falsify anything. If that were the case, then you don't have to falsify adharma because it is somebody's claim. Why do you want to fight adharma? It is somebody's claim. If somebody in geometry is making a statement that is incorrect and you, you refute it, in mathematics and logic, our tradition is very sharp. The, the idea of refuting an opponent is very sharp. So you cannot say that is his truth, this is my truth, that moral relativism, that postmodernist deconstruction is not on. So you cannot say that because the truth is one, all the claims are valid because some claims are bogus also. It's a matter of, so it says wise men. It doesn't say unwise men also. When it says, Truth is one and wise people call it by many names. It does not say unwise people also. So you, we cannot, we cannot uh, justify the lack of Purva Paksha on the basis that everything everybody was saying must have been valid. So why do we need to do Purva Paksha? We need to do Purva Paksha, but we didn't do Purva Paksha. So this otherworldliness uh, and during, especially during the, uh, both during the Islamic invasion and the, and the European invasion, uh, this uh, attack on deities, this attack, this because the Abrahamic religions don't like idol worship and all that, what we call murtis. So this attack on deities, we became kind of ashamed of the deities. Uh, we stopped teaching Artha Shastra. We are, if, uh, you know, even until very recently, you when they teach Hindu Dharma, they teach Upanishads, uh, they teach Itihas, but they don't teach Artha Shastra, Dharma Shastra, uh, because and these are not supposed to be codified and critical editions meant uh, permanently forever. They are smritis and not shrutis. And they are supposed to be updated. We should have been teaching Artha Shastra, Dharma Shastra, and creating new Dharma Shastra. We have to create new today's Dharma Shastra, how to deal with people of different faiths that are living with us. We need to create Dharma Shastra for that. What about LGBTQ? There has to be Dharma Shastra for that. So we need to do new thinking. This requires smart people. And if we, if we don't have good intellectuals and good leaders, and we can just recite and keep orating the old uh, canons, that is not, we are not people of the book in that sense. We do not have frozen books that can't be updated. We are supposed to update these. Shruti is permanent, but Smriti keeps getting updated. But we haven't been writing new Smritis. And therefore, and this, this sidelining of Artha Shastra and Dharma Shastra has been a problem because we did not have a, enough political consciousness. See, responsible Purva Paksha resulting in good Dharma Shastras and Artha Shastra updating, which would require vibrant debates and discussions amongst us, uh, would lead to a different kind of political mobilization gradually all throughout the history, not suddenly, sudden knee-jerk reaction. This situation led to a lot of fragmentation because of colonization. It led to what some people have called pseudo-secularism, which means that secularism not 
uniformly applied. So uh, the, this business of uh, Hindu temples are controlled, but uh, Muslim sites are not run by the government and the or the Sikh, uh, you know, holy sites or spiritual sites. And this kind of an asymmetric, unequal, which kind of is a time bomb because it upsets the Hindus. It upsets the Hindus and therefore it creates a opportunity for political people who may not be very responsible to take advantage of it and create a Hindu vote bank because frustrating the Hindus on grounds which are totally unfair and unnatural is a recipe for disaster because you cannot take the majority for a right indefinitely. You can make a fool out of some people some of the time and all the people for some of the time, but you cannot make a fool out of all the people all the time as Winston Churchill famously said. So making, trying to make a fool out of the Hindu majority with all these asymmetric policies, which are, you know, anti-majority in the name of minorityism to get votes out of them was something, was a very dangerous cocktail, which backfired. So this, uh, and then there is this whole problem of translating, translating the dharma, translating the Sanskrit into, into, trans, into foreign categories, and then mapping it onto those, mat, mapping the whole framework onto those categories, digesting these, uh, these the, 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 the genius of our tradition into foreign history, you know, so denying us our authentic history, these have created some vacuums. So I would say that certain vacuums existed. And in the midst of all this heavy bombardment of Hindu phobia from global nexuses uh, and, and uh, some domestic ones, this muddled up our leaders and a lot of the leaders who kind of revived Hinduism, there were two kinds. There were those who were sort of mixed up, uh, the, the Nehruvian type, the very mixed up uh, Fabian socialism, that kind of stuff, uh, quite mixed up with the, with the uh, you know, Western influences and foreign influences. And then there were some who were trying to uh, uh, revive something more traditional. So this led to a situation where there was a political opportunity to create a new kind of assertive dharma. Let me repeat, a new kind of assertive dharma was an opportunity because, you know, if you have a democracy, if you have a, or in those days when Savarkar was there, it was not, we were not free, but we were an aspiring kind of democracy. If you have, if you have a political camps coalescing uh, in, in uh, you know, various faiths, various traditions, and our own faith is so open, such an open architecture, uh, so kind of accommodating uh, that we are take, being taken for a ride. As the average person starts thinking that, you know, we are going to be, we are being taken for a ride. So the rise of Hindutva politics today, letting, let's come back to, to that point. The rise of Hindutva politics, the rise of BJP, it's Savarkar created something 100 years ago for his situation, but it wasn't a big deal. It was not rising. It was not a mainstream thing. The rise of Hindutva today as a political assertiveness, in, as a pushback to all of these things that have been happening, was because these things were allowed to happen. I mean, if they, if they had not during uh, Nehru's time and during Indira Gandhi's time, if they had not done too much minority manipulation, vote banking uh, at the expense of the majority thinking you keep making a fool out of them, then there would not have been that opportunity for the rise of uh, this modern Hindutva. Uh, so I would say that the, the climate, the soil was created by partly by the British, but then the, the Indian Natural, uh, National Congress afterwards kind of uh, made it even worse. Rather than starting in 1947, getting rid of all the temple controls, 
you know, getting rid of any, having quotas based on economic merit rather than minority, rather than caste or jati, but economic merit. If you come from an underprivileged family, doesn't matter what kind of uh, uh, heritage you come from, uh, uh, you know, underprivileged is underprivileged. If they had leveled the playing field in the true spirit of democracy, I think there would not have been the opportunity for some people to come and push back against this injustice bringing all the Hindus together into a big vote bank in order to give them some rights. The, the, the fact is that the rise of the BJP to give rights to Hinduism and create a major vote bank was something, the handwriting was on the wall. They, it happened because there was far too much, far too much uh, you know, injustice that the Hindus felt is happening. So the best way to if, the, if there are people who don't want a kind of overly aggressive Hindutva, the best way is that all the parties, including CPM, including Mayawati, including you know Congress, they should start respecting Hinduism. They should start respect and they, they should not give them privileges or because they're minority, but don't give them oppression either. Don't give them something special, but don't give the others pampering either. If you were to truly say, have a constitutional amendment, which says there shall be no laws passed in the name of reservations, etc., which are discriminated to any religion, any faith of any kind, that we want to upgrade, upgrade the plight of those who are the downtrodden, not based on faith or identity or history or whether you're foreign or domestic or whatever, but entirely based on your family circumstance. If you could level that playing field, that would be a true democracy. Then you would defuse the vote banking. But guess what? You would not only diffuse the vote banking of the BJP, but also of the Mayavatis and all the all the uh, different, uh, you know, regional, fractional, caste-based, uh, you know, political groups that have come up. Uh, you would diffuse all of that, and it would be for the betterment of India. So that would be that would be the true spirit of uh, Sanatana Dharma, uh, because my my concern is that modern democracy has been a weapon for fragmentation, for forces of fragmentation. And because modern democracy in a parliamentary system, as, a, as opposed to say a presidential system, but in a parliamentary system has given an opportunity for a lot of chota moda people to make little groups here and there and to uh, convince a certain vote bank that the nation at large, the other caste or the other religion, whoever it might be, they are the problem, they are your enemy and you're poor and not doing well because of those people. And so this is a, this is a dangerous cocktail. So I would say that the BJP and the modern rise of modern Hindutva was going to happen sooner or later. Somebody would have to do it because Hindus, either the Hindus who remain dumb and to over patient and finish off, which they were not willing to do, uh, and, or, or somebody had to come up and say, hey, listen, guess what? This is a game of vote banking. They're doing it to us. We ought to do it too. I mean, we are being taken for a ride because we don't have a vote bank. We are too too tolerant, too benign, too passive. So let's get organized. So I think we can accuse and blame what happened in recent politics. And I fully sympathize that there are some issues. There are there, It is sometimes overdone. I do not want my Sanatana Dharma to be weaponized against others. I really don't want to. I espouse mutual respect. I fully, I really believe in all these principles and I take the tenets of my Dharma very seriously. Uh, there are karmic consequences if we don't do it, if we don't do the right thing. There are karmic consequences. I do not want to be part of that, of any such thing. But I feel from a political, if you are a political analyst, 
the powder keg which which people came and lit a match and uh, let it blow up that powder keg had been created by overdoing this minority pampering business and overdoing it this this uh, caste bashing and what not divide and rule kind of internally within india and th that once it set in motion this vote banking thing set in motion based on identities uh, identity politics then you know then some people had to come up some people said hey you know what this is a good strategy we'll also use it so i don't think you can accuse the uh, political hindutvavadis uh, namely the bjp for having started something they just joined the game they said you know why do we want to lose the game if either there is no game of uh, politicizing faith keep faith out of uh, politics completely and keep it out of reservations and things like that or if uh, if there is a game to be played on identity politics we are going to play it also so uh, that's a, that's a kind of a view that uh, that i have now it's more complex than just this uh, i have issues with the uh, savarkar and some of the early thinkers of the sangh uh, in terms of their idea of rashtra uh, so the idea of rashtra as i read it in their in their books and by the way i got the books which some sangh people i asked them which are the books to read to understand the notion of rashtra in as per your your uh, founding fathers and so the books they gave me written by these uh, the, the early people uh, i read those and the idea of rashtra does not agree with the vedic idea of rashtra let me repeat the ideas of rashtra mentioned in the early writings of the sangh parivar or people who influenced the sangh parivar about 100 years ago are different from the ideas of rashtra written in the vedas and i'm willing to have a separate discussion it's a very big topic i'm writing on that on the different ideas of rashtra that have come up from the vedic times to more modern times so i feel that uh, uh, that when we are saying what with when people ask me what do i think of hindu rashtra i want to first of all have a discussion on what i mean by hindu and what i mean by rashtra uh, because uh, if you talk about vedic idea of rashtra as as uh, as described in the vedas i think it's a wonderful idea but that is not the idea the, the the word rashtra even though it's the first name of rashtriya swayamsevak sang that word rashtra as has been interpreted is not the vedic idea of rashtra this is a very big topic and you can you can look up what the vedas say about rashtra and there are several dozen occurrences of the term rashtra and you will be, you will be surprised that the founding fathers did not quote the founding fathers of this idea modern modern day idea of uh, hindu rashtra did not quote from those sources they quoted from western sources of all so and then also i feel that the real problem is we did not we forgot the purva paksha so we let centuries go by a centuries long uh, process where we are being pushed back we are being squeezed the hindus are losing up their land more of them they're losing authority they're losing their houses of worship i mean we didn't do purva paksha Uh, which was supposed to have been done by our, uh, as per our tradition all along and then we after we retreated we are bad shape and uh, uh, then there's vote banking coming on uh, on top of that in modern times so then you know then we are desperate and so when the when the majority feels desperate and feels that it's the victim of injustice that's a very dangerous situation and so there's going to be people who will come and take advantage of that so now of course politicizing hinduism in whatever by whatever name you you uh, you call it has good things in it because they are they are fixing some of these problems absolutely they are fixing some problems that should not have been there 
They are fixing problems, leveling the playing field. They should be doing it. And in the process, there are excesses. Absolutely, there are excesses. So, you know, but some you cannot expect that a bounce back after centuries of uh, being oppressed is going to be perfect. Uh, some There will be a lot of good things happening. I'm very glad that so many good things are happening in the name of Hindutva. But at the same time, there are also like the examples given. Some people have been unfairly killed or some people have been killed and other things going on, violence and all that. That I disown. Those are those are also happening that I disown. So I wouldn't say that Hindutva should not have happened because given what we went through for so long, it, it was something of that kind by whatever name you give had to happen. Nor am I saying that everything they've done is a good thing because I think that some bad things have also happened. So we are in the early stages of a new era. We are in the early stages of the revival of Hindu Dharma where Hindu Dharma has to be, if, it, if we are going to be a democracy and if we are going to have uh, vote banks, then, you know, fine, we're going to have our vote bank too. Uh, or if we want to change this whole law so that the vote banking is defused, there is no need for uh, championing a vote bank in order to get them a better deal because the better deal will be based on uh, uh, merit, based, based on the economic and social merit. Nowadays, the technology is there with Aadhaar card. You could score every person's uh, with this, all this artificial intelligence system and so much data, you could score each person using some algorithms on whether he, he has more need, less need on a scale, give every person a rating. And then those people who are below a certain level are the ones who should be give, given preferences. That I fully agree with. But the moment you bring uh, who was your bap and who was your dada and what kind of jast or jati he came from or what kind of religion you have and what kind of certificate you can get. The moment you start coalescing with groups like that, it is utterly irresponsible. And that is what the political class across the whole spectrum has been doing. So I will, I will stop with that because it's a big topic. But I was given 18 minutes. I lost track of time. But uh, I'm really glad that I got this chance. And I would love to have any discussion, questions, debate whatever the organizers would like. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rajiv. I yeah, benefited greatly from being, being different while writing my book, The Great Hindu Civilization. In fact, you're quoted in it on more than one place. We, we, you and I need to have one-on-one -on -one discussions on YouTube. Yeah, with pleasure. I think we should do that because I, I, I respect with what you are saying. I have a different take on, uh, uh, I think that the BJP was basically saying, you know, we want to be politically successful. This is the success formula. You have to create a vote bank. India is a land of vote banks. That is what, how the democracy is. Why are we going to just sit and not have a vote bank? Do you agree that uh, Hindu vote bank was the only, only way out to give the Hindus a kind of a sense that somebody's championing our case because nobody nobody was willing to champion our case we were we were being asked to be apologetic for being hindus i i was very concerned why am i having to apologize all over the world i go i have to the moment i say i'm hindu the moment i say yoga is of hindu origin i'm not saying others should not do it i'm not saying that yoga others should not do it i'm saying it is of hindu origin as a historical fact what's wrong with that and i would be hit attacked so i became a sympathizer of this revival because I felt there's no other way that we're going to get a fair shake. And this temple, the temple control and these quotas based on, uh, you know, identity. I think this has been a disaster. So I would love to hear your views on it. No, no, I agree with you. In fact, I've cataloged in my latest book, 
the great Hindu civilization, the reasons for the evolving angst among Hindus for legitimate and verifiable reasons. Yes. At the same time, having understood that and being able to explain the right of Hindu, uh, the rise of Hindu aggression, or at least a self-conscious attempt for greater assertion, I also critique the ultra-Hindu right for its distortions of some of the tenets of Hinduism. So we will have a discussion separately on this. I was very short of time today, but I was in particular, of course, interested to listen to all the panelists and to you. And it's been a great pleasure. Please continue. I would ask the moderator. To and we would love to host this one-on-one -on -one discussion between you and Rajiv Ji. <laughs> that could be one of our future programs. Thank you so much for joining us. And Thank you, we... Pavan. Thank you. Let's stay in touch. God bless. We have a lot of questions. Uh, we've just been bombarded with the questions, so we move on to that quickly. Uh, the first question is, if someone says that they are in favor of Hinduism, but against Hindutva, what should be our response? And I'll put this to Rajiv Malhotraji. Well, if somebody says that, uh, I will start by defining uh, Hindutva. I will say that uh, Hindutva is a justified political response to assert Hinduism in, at a time when there was no other option. I mean, Hinduism on its own is not going to expand and attack and aggressively go, uh, go to some other country and wage war. We never did that. So the, the, reason, the reason that people got sick of being victims, being hit all the time, being, uh, you know, all our lands being taken, temples being taken, uh, just being blamed, accused, a lot of Hindu phobia in the, all the textbooks and everywhere. The Hindus needed, a, needed, needed to push back. So therefore, a large number of Hindus who personally, they were not into BJP supporters or Jansang supporters, so many people I know, they said, you know, this is the way. This is the way. They are the people who champion and give us uh, give us some rights. So I think that uh, the way you support, the way you justify Hindutva is that it is the path to equality of our Hindus. We are not asking for superiority. We are not asking that uh, you know we should take over other people. We are we are only saying we want to, to take back what is ours, what is justifiably ours. We don't want unfair, uh, unfair and unequal. Uh, you know, allocation of resources under in the name of, uh, of uh, reservations. Reservations should be only for people below a certain poverty line. It should have nothing to do with your religion or jati or any of that stuff. So Hindutva became a way to get justice uh, for, for the majority because uh, in the name of pampering the minority, injustice was being done uh, to the majority. This is a very unique situation. I tell this to Americans that there is no other civilization I know which was colonized by a minority for so long. And therefore, the meaning of being a minority is a different meaning. In India, it's a different meaning. In America, when they say minority, it's blacks. Blacks did not rule over Americans. Blacks were not the foreigner guys who came and ruled over the whites. So when we talk about sympathy for blacks, it's because the whites actually ruled over them and made them into slaves and oppressed them. And so now there is some sympathy for them. That's a very wonderful thing. But in India, the minorities are the people who were ruling over the majority. This is a this is a, this is a very different situation than anywhere else in the world. So our people must know how to articulate this. 
Absolutely. And there is some amount of gaslighting where the oppressed is classified as the oppressor, like you rightly yes. pointed out.